0: The following is a CA original, the mighty sound of the South tailgating on Tiger Lane, Tom three at the Liberty Bowl, each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger football podcast.
1: How's it going, Tiger football fans? We are back for another season of Memphis football and Memphis football podcast here at the Commercial Appeal. I'm uh, columnist Mark Giannato. I'm joined by our football beat writer Evan Barnes, and uh, in studio here is our producer and jack of all trades, Jason Muns. Uh, you can call him Munsley. That's his Twitter handle. Training camp has kicked off. Um, we're going to get to lots of different things here today on this first podcast. The QB battle is off and running between uh, Brady White and David Moore. There's been a lot of Freshmen who have sort of impressed through the first four days of camp. Tom Bowen, the athletic director, has been on the radio talking about attendance. We have some of your questions from Twitter, but let's just start off with Evan. Evan, you've been at every practice so far. I'm curious, what are your initial impressions of camp so far? What stood out to you?
0: The the heat's been a little bit uh, intense to start, and again, me getting used to the Memphis heat has been quite the adjustment. But you can you can add the heat has been great on the field too because the guys have been flying around they're active they want to prove that this team has the experience to compete again the quarterback battle is going to be talked about a lot I love what I see out of both Brady White and David Moore um, both of them have been you know showing they want to battle they want to go at each other I really like the linebackers they've this this linebacking core has so much depth I think that people are going to be surprised when the starts starting they realize how many guys have improved and are swarming to the ball and so I, I see a lot that I like and I think it's just really curious just how Mike Norvell seems like he's At one point, very excited about what this team can produce, but he also gets frustrated with them because he wants them to be so much better. So I think you want a coach that's a bit angry with how his guys can be better because that means that this team has better potential for a strong season.
1: It's interesting. I was talking to someone, uh, I was at Sunday's practice and talking to one of the staffers, and I said this about this year's team. I think the ceiling is as high as last year's team. You know, they could win a conference championship, But I also think the floor is a little bit lower, you know, because you don't have an established QB because, you know, yes, the defense you're hoping they're improved, but ultimately, I mean, this was a defense that, you know, was very up and down last year. And can you count on them to be a, you know, a dominant unit? I don't know about that. Can you count on to be a good unit? Hopefully. But there's also a lot of really young talent because of the recruiting Mike and his staff have done over recent years. So I think the talent level overall is probably better than Mike's first 2 years, but it's still kind of young. It's still a lot of you're still relying on a lot of sophomores, a lot of, you know, a lot of underclassmen. There's only 8 seniors on this team, but I think it's all, a lot of it is going to depend on this quarterback battle. Do you have a reliable quarterback? From what you've seen, do they have a reliable quarterback? Is it too early to tell?
0: I'd say not yet for that reason. It's too early. Um, I think, you know, too soon. I think the spring we had two guys clearly emerge. I'd say Brady White has shifted ahead a little bit more, and even David Moore admitted at practice that, you know, Brady's looked a little bit more comfortable in team settings than he has, and that's forced him to kind of step his game up a little bit more. So I think right now it's really going to come down to, as both Mike and O.C. Kenny Dillingham have said, who is going to master this offense? Who's going to look like – They know what they're doing, get guys in position, and just look like they believe that they can run this offense as well as Riley Ferguson did. And right now, we don't have a clear answer just yet.
1: Well, my my initial impressions watching Brady is that, one, he's very accurate. Two, his arm strength is not a strength of his. I don't think he throws a great deep ball. But I don't know if you need to throw a great deep ball to be good in Mike Norvell's offense.
0: And I was gonna say, like, from watching some games, I've been catching up watching games um, in the summer. A lot of the passes have been very short, intermediate uh, routes. Um, you don't really need to just launch it and tell guys to go up there and go get it, because most of Brady White's interceptions this this practice this, this training camp so far have been on the deep ball. So I think for me, you know, if he can just get that short intermediate game down, they might be able to get away with hey, he can't just you know launch it and tell guys to go get it. But the good news is when you have guys like. DeMonte Coxie, um, Antonio Gibson, I've seen kind of, you know, so we can make catches in traffic. When you have those guys, it gets a little bit easier. And then, of course, Tony Pollard out there, which I'm sure we're going to talk more about. But for Brady's, with Brady's deep ball being a problem, the short to intermediate game is what they're looking for. And I think he does do a great job with that.
1: Yeah, and then David Moore, he has moments where you're like, wow, because his arm strength is a strength. He has a good arm. And... As Kenny Dillingham told me, his arm looks about as live as it's looked since he got on campus. At the same time, consistency and accuracy are an issue with him. He has too many throws that get away from him. And just in general, I think the ball looks better coming out of Brady's hands. I don't know how to explain that, but it just looks a little smoother coming out of his hands. Now, at the same time, David Moore is... Not to say Brady is not mobile. It seems like he's he's got some wheels on him. But David Moore, I think his wheels are an actual strength, whereas Brady is more, I think, he can create space for himself in the pocket, can escape, a lot like Riley Ferguson, I think.
0: I think David's uh, mobility, you know, just looking at that offense, if you have a quarterback who can run and give you that option, I think that's that makes his offense even more uh, explosive. But I think with Brady, I think Brady... Brady's more mobile than people give him credit for, because I know Riley, that wasn't his strength. He could get away and keep the play alive. Brady could actually, like, get positive yards if you need him to. But I think David Moore's mobility just adds another dimension to what they can do with this offense, because imagine him back there with Daryl Henderson and Patrick Taylor. I mean, you could run RPOs all day and just confuse the heck out of people. But I think, to me, too, is that Moore has to improve his accuracy. This next five-day period, when
1: they get in pet full pads and then Saturday – when they have the fan day, but they'll also scrimmage a little there, I think is going to be a a big telltale for how this is going to go. I'll be honest, this is just my opinion. I would be surprised if Brady White doesn't win this competition. The biggest thing for Brady is going to be not just winning on the field, but winning off the field and in the locker room. He needs to win over this locker room. I don't think he has yet because he's so new. And I think there's, from talking to people... There, there's a sense that the locker room is sort of in David Moore's camp just because he's been on the roster the last two, three years. They've seen how hard he's worked. He's friends with a lot of these guys. And you see, like, uh, you know, when I was at Sunday's practice, something that was really noticeable to me, you know, when he made a bad throw, you know, immediately Tony Pollard is coming over to, you know, give him a pep talk, talk to him, give him, you know, pointers, and so... I do think, you know, ultimately a locker room is going to, they want the best player to play. So if Brady emerges as the best player, um, I don't think it'll be an issue. But if it's a tie, I think it's something to watch out for. This is not a critique of Brady. He's been here for a few months. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard to just jump into a brand new team as a quarterback and become the bona fide leader. But it's something he's going to have to do over these next few weeks.
0: It was funny. I was talking to, uh, to Curtis Aikens and Brady's having to jump over and try to, you know, interrupt my interview being silly or whatever. But I think it just shows kind of, you know, Hey, you know, he is endearing himself to these guys. You know, he is trying to befriend them and get close to them. And I think what impressed them from what I've talked to guys about is Brady came into work. And the one thing about Brady is that unlike most, what you expect from a like typical California quarterbacks who aren't used to adversity, he's not afraid of it. He wants to prove himself. He knows he has to prove himself after he was hurt. And he knows he's coming into a program that is already establishing itself as a top program.
1: Hating on the California quarterbacks. Those are your boys. Hey, what can I say, man? I'm trying to show I'm not biased. They can't
0: can't overcome adversity? Isn't California like a quarterback factory? It it is, but how many California quarterbacks are in the league right now? Like, let's look. I don't know. But Josh Rosen getting to the league, we'll see what happens. We'll see with Sam Darnold. But, you know, hey, there's that stereotype out there. And especially coming out of California or the West Coast to play here you got to impress a lot of people, and I think that's what Brady has to do. I think so far he's done that to an extent, but we'll see.
1: Interesting. Well, uh, on Friday, Tom Bowen, athletic director Tom Bowen, was hosting a radio show on 92.9 FM ESPN. As part of his discussion, he mentioned that he is hoping that Memphis football will average 45,000 fans per game this year and also mentioned – that he's hoping for a sellout of the UCF game. Now, I don't think Memphis football, at least in recent memory, certainly in recent memory, has never averaged over, I think it's like 30, a few years ago, what was it, Evan? You, you put it out there, I like 37,000 37. back in 2015 when they were really good.
0: Right, and that was when they had you know the, the games against Ole Miss and Navy, right, I believe?
1: I think so, yeah. So 45,000 is a lot. Last year they averaged about 33,000, and then they added in the bowl game uh, later on, um, but I think what what you need to, you know, I, I'm curious, do you think they can average 45,000? I don't.
0: I don't think so, and that's not saying that this, the Memphis fans won't show up, but 45,000 is a lot, especially with the trend going on in college sports that attendance is down everywhere. I don't think you're going to get 45,000 because people want to watch the games at home. They want to be watching everything they can, so I don't think it's a, sh- uh, a fault of Tiger fans. I think it's a matter of 45,000, that's a lot, especially when, you know, the Tigers haven't seen numbers like that in years.
1: Yeah, no, what's what's interesting to me is, um, you know, he mentioned on there, I mean, ticket sales are so important for this this athletic department because they don't own the Liberty Bowl, because they don't own FedEx Forum. So they really only do the real major income from these football games for them is from ticket sales. So, and I think it's noble and admirable that Tom Bowen is, is creating this goal to have 45,000 fans per game. But I think if you look at 2015, you know, that old Miss game, there were a lot of old Miss fans here. That Navy game, there were a lot of Navy fans here. Look at the schedule this year. What home games are really going to – are the is the opposing team really going to bring a ton of fans here to Memphis? Because I think that's how you get to 45 to be, you know, as, as – you know, I, I hope it doesn't come off the wrong way, but that's how you're going to get to 45,000 average. And the other key I think is, you know – momentum, you know, that Navy game, for instance, the second week of the year, say you lose that and you have a loss, I think that will, you know, you're, a lot of casual fans will maybe not show up like they might have if this is an undefeated team. Um, even last year when this team was rolling, I remember, you know, everyone talks about the weather and, you know, it definitely was a huge factor in the attendance numbers last year, but I remember sitting up in the press box during the ECU game. And looking out over the stands, I'm like, this is like one of the best teams in Memphis football history. And I was I was honestly disappointed in the number of fans. I mentioned it here on the podcast. I was disappointed in that it was, you know, it was like maybe 30,000 people, 35, I don't know the exact number, but I just remember sitting there in the press box being like, what is going on? Why aren't people here? This is a great team. So I hope they get to 45. That would be great. It would be great for the university. It would be great for the image of the football program. I just don't know if it's possible without sort of that marquee non conference game and just just the way the conference is. You know, even that UCF game, you know, I know Tom thinks you know, hopes they might sell it out, but since he did that interview I've talked to some people in, in the administration and I mean I don't think it's during fall break for all of Shelby County and for University of Memphis. Um And just the bottom line is, I don't think UCF is going to bring a ton of fans here to Memphis. But at the same time, I encourage people to go because, you know, it's funny that this athletic department, this university is investing in this football program like never before. I mean, look at the raises they gave Mike Norvell and his entire staff. And the way to help fund those raises to help keep it going is to come to the games because, as Tom Boehm has pointed out, and David Rudd points out, ticket sales are huge for this school because of the AAC's not great media deal, and because they don't control their facilities for football, and men's basketball. Something to keep in mind. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe maybe they will get to forty-five. Maybe they'll make me look stupid, which hopefully, you know, I hope that's the case. Um, it won't be the first time I look stupid.
0: Hey, that's what we're here for. You, you're, give, you're giving your opinion. Take that chance. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, Evan, I'm curious. Um, you gave your initial impressions. Any uh, any freshmen who have really stood out to you so far during practices? Anyone? Maybe not freshmen. People who maybe fans weren't expecting to be contributors. Who have who have or maybe not 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 expected, but you know. Guys under the radar who have really shined in these early practices and look like they're going to challenge for some serious playing time this year.
0: I think um, two freshmen that Mike Norvell was really high on and we've seen kind of looked apart a little bit are two three-star recruits, uh, Kenny Gainwell and Cameron Fleming. They're two running backs. You think about the fact that Tony Pollard's not going to be more of a wide receiver. Um, Gainwell and Fleming have looked really good with their hands. They've looked good in drills. Kenny uh-huh. Gainwell, I think, has been really impressive just with his speed, his versatility, Um Mike Norvell said that he's going to be shadowing Tony Pollard a little bit, which is kind of good. You want to see a freshman who has that potential shadowing your most versatile player this year. And I think Kenny Gamewell is accepting that challenge. He's even run with the second unit in 11 on 11s, which is quite promising for a team that has so much depth ahead of them. And I think Cameron Fleming has looked really good as well, too. Just someone who has, you know, good speed. He's a little bit smaller, but I think um, he's kind of shown that he could, you know, Mike in the extra carries. But I think, What's really What I realized today was, with Pollard gone, you have Daryl Henderson, Patrick Taylor, and you need that third back to step up. So I think with the freshmen they have, you have those two, Tim Taylor, who had a great spring, Marquavius Weaver, who trucked somebody yesterday and looked really good doing it. Um, I think it's going to be good competition with the running backs to see who emerges as the third guy. But I think Gainwell and Fleming, just right off the bat, they've impressed the most.
1: What about defensively? Anyone uh,
0: that sticks out to you not
1: beyond the... The guys we know about.
0: I've really liked Alec Long. Um, he's been really um impressive early on. He was came off strong in the spring a little bit, but Alec Long has been very impressive just with what he's been on the field. I think that's a linebacker for those that don't know. <laughs> right. Jacoby Francis has looked really good as, as a second in the secondary as a defensive back. He he stepped in a little bit of practice when Tito Wyndham missed the first two uh first two practices and he's looked really well with his coverage abilities and you know keeping these going. So I think just Adding more depth to those positions. And that's kind of what Memphis has been looking for with 16 returning starters. They want to see guys who can create depth. And again, I think the linebackers have really shown that. I think most of those guys we already know, but I think defensive wise, I think Alec Long linebackers look great. I think Jacoby Francis has looked really good. Um, J.J. Russell, I think, has just been an incredible revelation. I mean, he's just playing with such reckless abandon, flying across the field, making plays. Interceptions. I think he had a couple sacks getting to the quarterback really well. Um, he's really come alive, and I think that's uh, very encouraging.
1: That's interesting. JJ was a, a standout on special teams last year, I thought. And then Jacoby played a little bit as the year went on last year at cornerback when they when they got in some injury pinches. Um, he got some snaps, so that's encouraging to hear. So, we are uh, I, sol- I solicited this morning some Twitter questions, topics that people wanted to talk about. So let's run through those. Let's start with, I got a lot, of, we got a lot of questions about the punter and the kicker. I know Evan, you have a story up on commercial right now on this six foot five, 245 pound punter. You guys should check it out, but give us your impressions of the punning situation. And you know, people really want to know, you know, at Riley Patterson, the kicker, you know, had a rough end to last year with missing some clutch kicks. Just your just your thoughts on the special teams right now.
0: Yeah. So Adam Williams, first off, when you when I shook this this kid's hand, I was just looking up like, are you you're you're a punter? Like you're not a tight end. Like he looked like a tight end, just body type, the attitude, and the way he carried himself. But seeing him on the field, he's got a very big leg. I talked to his special teams coach Joe Lorig and he said, you know, he's got, you know, with his size, he's able to get more power out of his legs. And, you know, that's really encouraging to see. And Mike Norvell even said he might be one of the most talented punters he's ever been around. And that's high praise for a redshirt freshman. So I think Tiger fans should be excited about him because obviously you lose Spencer Smith and Nick Jacobs. You have a guy who can come in. He said he's learned from both of them Uh, from Nick Jacobs. He learned the Aussie style of punting where, you know, take a few steps to the side and kick from Spencer he learned how to be more technically sound with his his drops and the spin and everything. So I think with Adam Williams you got a punter who is got a lot of promise who can come in. Um we're not sure if they're going to, you know, use the two punter system again, but I think for at least for now you got a punter who is ready to step in, confident about keeping up the standard of great kicking at Memphis and as for Riley Patterson, in practice we've seen him, you know, when they've had the in, the, in the practice field goals, all the noise is around Riley Patterson. Kicking a man like no problem. So I think the question for me is someone who's, you know, coming in new. Last year he did miss some field goals. How is he going to adjust in those moments when Memphis is going to need him? Distance-wise, you know, can he be, you know, consistent from longer distance outside of 40 yards? Um, his leg looks stronger. Legs, his leg looks like that. But can he be that guy that, you know, you saw last year, you know, in those games where they, Memphis needs a kick? Riley, you got this.
1: Yeah, it's gonna, I don't think we're going to know the answer until he gets in. You know, kickers can be 100 out of 100 in practice, and then they get to the game. It's totally different when you're in the game. And so I don't know. We're not going to know for sure if Riley Patterson is going to be, uh, you know, this the, the consistent kicker you want. Because remember, he was a true freshman last year. That's a tough spot for someone like him. So I don't think we'll know until the games start with him. Interesting question from our buddy uh, at Saluki Blue. Friend of the program, he asked status and expectations for Jackson Dylan. I've got an answer for this, but Evan, I want to. What have you seen from Jackson so far? These first few practices,
0: I see a guy that everyone told me about. Like you should have seen him a few years ago. He looks like he's ready to go. You you don't see any sign of him being hurt. He's out there with the first unit um, on the front line, getting to the quarterback, um, putting pressure up front on those old linemen. Um, he looks great. I mean, he didn't practice he he didn't practice during the first two um two weeks of the spring full with the full team, and then he got in there, had that focus, regained it. And I think now I'm seeing that he looks he looks good. He doesn't look like he's had any injuries at all. I think the key is gonna be how would he look, you know, in the season. But I think right now he looks like he's ready to compete right away and get in there on uh September first.
1: Well, and you reported yesterday um that Sam Kraft got his sixth year of eligibility from the ncaa we're still waiting on jackson to hear officially but i would imagine they wouldn't have him practicing if they didn't think they there was a good shot of him getting that sixth year of eligibility something someone told me about jackson i think i think with him a lot of it like we haven't gotten to full pads there hasn't been hitting so until he needs to prove that he can you know i mean the, the bottom line is he hasn't played since what 2014 and 15 15 yeah yeah so you know he's going to have to prove it in a game that he can stay healthy but what people at Memphis have told me is that whereas last year one he was in he was a, in a green jersey most of training camp last year you know participating in practice but not as a full participant and it was because as it turned out you know they were saying it was as a precaution as it turned out it sounds like he was already injured he had already sort of injured that shoulder in the offseason, and so he was kind of already injured coming into the season last year, which he didn't really tell people or tell the media. And what people have told me now is, like, last year, Jacks this is how someone phrased me, last year Jackson was kind of playing just because he could. Like, there was an option, and so he was. Whereas this year, he, you know, he's playing because it got taken away from him and he knows it's kind of his last shot and he's really actually enjoying it he as someone said he looks better like last year he came into camp and because he was already sort of injured he you know he wasn't in the best shape this year he he just looks a lot better and then mentally i think he's in a much better place because he's He's savoring the fact that this is it. And you know, I don't think that was the case last year. So just mindset wise, it sounds like he's in a much better place. So status and expectations. I would say my my hope for him is that he can be that pass rushing specialist that they badly need. Okay, so this is from Trey Tedford at the Legend 186. He's got three questions rapid fire. I'll go with the first one to you, uh, Evan. Is Tony Pollard going to return any kicks this year, or will teams steer clear? Actually, I'll answer this, because they were steering clear of him last year, and what Joe Lorig would do is he'd move, him, move Tony around quite a bit uh, into different spots on that kickoff return team. So yes, teams are going to try to steer clear of him, but that was the case last year, and he still returned four kicks for touchdowns. If we have another good season,
0: this is from Trey again, is Norvell gone? That'll be interesting to see. I mean, honestly, he's a hot. he was a hot candidate last year. I think if he has another eight, nine-win season at least and say Memphis wins the AAC, I think there's a very good chance that somebody will come calling. And that's not something to be sad about. I think it's something to be, you know, for him at least, it would be encouraging because he's proven himself as the guy who's probably the next AAC coach who will be snatched up by somebody else. So I do think that... There's a good chance that if they have another strong season, he will probably be getting a lot of good offers on his phone.
1: I think it's something, yeah, like you said, it's not something you should really worry about. And I think a lot of it also depends on what jobs are open. Like, there's certain jobs that are going to be good fits for him. And certain like, I don't think, for instance, like a Big Ten job comes open. I don't know if that's the best fit for Mike Norvell. But if a Big 12 job comes open, that's why I was it was so surprising last year cuz there were a lot of jobs that you would view as a good fit that came open for him um, but it worked out for Memphis cuz they get him for another year now at least has our defense improved drastically since last year i'm going to say to be determined I, I they can say all they want that they're this they're going to be this great defense and they did have moments there was like from the yukon the end of the yukon game till the aac championship game and take out like the Houston first half, but even then they played okay. Like they were actually a solid defense. They weren't great, but they were a solid defense. And obviously, they created a ton of turnovers. But to me, I like that the stink of those last two games is something I, you know, I have trouble just removing because I I did not think they were very good. I mean, especially the AAC championship game, um, but even the even the Liberty Bowl, I did not think they were. They were great in those games. So to me, they're going to have to prove it. If they, you know, they can say all they want, they're a changed defense and they're going to be really good. But I want to see
0: it. I'll take a step. I'll be the. I'll be the positive guy here. Yeah. If they stay healthy. I think they will be better because they've already proven they can turn, get create turnovers as well as any. That is true.
1: They had a ton of injuries
0: last year. Yeah, time. and as when as I've been watching games, people remind me, "Hey, this was a young defense that was still really gelling." One of the guys told me, "I think it was I think it was Tim Hard who told me that the defense is learning how to move as one unit with eleven guys." So I think with the experience they have, if they can stay healthy, then on the surface, yes, they're going to be much more improved because they're not going to have guys plugging in trying to figure stuff out as they go. So I would say right now, yes, but like Mark said, I mean. You can be negative Nancy if you want. I'm going to say they are improved. Will T.J. Carter be an All-American? That's going to be totally up to him. But I can tell you what, already in practice, he's looking like a leader. When you have that attitude, it's going to translate on the field because guys are going to respond to how you play. My question that I had when I wrote about um, him as one of the most important players this year, will teams test him? Because he already has five, five interceptions last year. Will teams test him enough to prove he's an All-American? Will he be an All-American? It's entirely up to him, I think.
1: See, I disagree with that. I think, no, he won't be an All-American, and it's because those All-American teams are all based on numbers a lot of times. And he, like you said, he's not going to get thrown the ball at. He's not going to get thrown at enough to have a ton of interceptions and a ton of tackles. Like, he... I think I agree with you. He's going to be better than last year. He's going to be a shutdown cornerback for them. But I don't think th- those those all-American lists are a lot it's a lot numbers based and I just don't think fair or not I don't think he's going to have the stats to be an all-American because teams are, you know, they're going to be they'll be stupid to throw at him a lot to be quite honest because he is that talented and that good. Telly Futuris, I don't know if that's his real name, but when will the schedule be finalized with game times and network broad- network broadcasts? As always, this is up to TV telly. It's uh, we, we you most game times you won't know until about two weeks before the game. You know, I think right now we know the first four games of the season. Is that right,
0: Evan? We have the first five, all the non-conference games, and up to Tulane. We have the first five with TV times, and the only one after that, I believe, is SMU. On in November. So we have a lot of games that we don't know about yet.
1: We do know that the opener September 1st is I believe 6 p.m. Kick perfect for tailgating. Um, so that should be fun. But a lot of training camp left. We still got what three more weeks left at least three more weeks. Um, So get ready for that. This like as we talked about earlier the QB battle can will continue and uh, we will be here chronicling it for you. Uh, make sure you check Evan's been doing some great work. Um, Over at CommercialAppeal.com, he's got observations from every practice. He's got features. Everything you could want Memphis football-wise at CommercialAppeal.com if you're trying to keep up with what's going on. But uh, we'll be back next week. We'll have an update from that first scrimmage at the Fan Fest, and I'm sure there'll be lots of other developments as we progress. So for now, I was Mark. I was joined by Evan. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next week.
0: A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.